Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. All right, this is it. Hey, everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It is the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Now, let's step back into the ring, back into time, into the Great Smoky Mountains, where there ain't no hoss, like the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Hey, what's going on, Ron? Hey, Jace, and uh, glad to be here again. Uh, uh, things are going pretty decent up here. Had a crazy day, man. I got real quick uh, last Saturday. Uh, got up with to uh, probably uh, 60, in the high 60s in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, by 5 o'clock in the afternoon, it was uh, in the 20s. <laughs> wow. It was, uh, it first started raining, then it started sleeting and then I got snow. Wow. So all in the period of an afternoon. Yes. And, uh, the (laughs) next day it went back to, uh, 68. Were you, were you having dreams of St. Petersburg, Florida? Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe a little bit, man. Uh, you know, but I've kind of got to where I like the snow. Uh, yeah. you know, snow's so beautiful. I don't mind a little bit of that. And, uh, yeah. I don't think I don't know if we we'll get any more of those, but you know, may may. Uh, yeah, I, I hear there's a big, huge, uh, crazy front of some type <laughs> out in the mid America. That's yes, it's got potential of maybe bringing more, but uh, yeah. So it's just a crazy spring, I guess. <laughs> but uh, man, doing well. Uh, uh, happy to be here in the Smoky Mountains, man. Beautiful part of the world. It's funny. It's it, that's cool. How you have r- literally you have winter one day and spring the next day, sixty eight degrees. So. Yeah, uh, crazy. Yeah, absolutely. All right, listen, Ron, I've gotten used to sneaking a look at the title of each new studcast. And first thing, Ron, when you send me something related to it, I got to know, okay, what's it called? So last week, we didn't have an event in the major city of either southeastern Knoxville or southeastern Gulf Coast. This studcast, as I remember from last week, we have a fantastic card in both territories. Last week, we were kind of all over the South and into almost everything that pertained to professional wrestling. So my guess from the subject of today's title, the title is LaDuke versus Garvin, Tennessee, Ernie Ladd, Alabama. This week, we're going to be focusing on wrestlers more than on the wrestling business. Is that true? Well, that's that's a pretty good summation there, Dave. I mean, uh, (laughs) And you're right. I mean, uh, since we've got two territories now, uh, wow, we are pretty much 
everywhere, man. Uh, you know, and we're obviously all over the South, uh, the two territories, 500 miles apart and a lot going on for darn sure. So, uh, you know, uh, like I said, you're, you're right on it, man. And, uh, but we had, we had a lot going on in, uh, in at this point, April of 1978, we had a mature territory in, in Tennessee, obviously, uh, and Kentucky and Virginia and that area up there, uh, southeastern Knoxville. And uh, at the same time, we had a baby southeastern territory down there in Alabama and Florida that required a great deal more care than what Knoxville did at that point. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and uh, you, so southeastern Knoxville was in its fourth year, basically, mm -hmm. and they'd already had well over a thousand events. Wow. Now, when we compare that to southeastern Gulf Coast, now they had only had four events so far. <laughs> we're really uh operating with a with a baby here man of a territory and it, you know and that's a little tricky for me now each week when i put these together to try to figure out which territory to spend the most time in <laughs> no and i've got two of them to deal with but uh i'm enjoying it man Hey, you know what? It may be tricky for you stud but not for our listeners the last five studcast have exploded with the fans they obviously they don't mind having two territories to talk about now shows are loaded with interesting educational content like how you may be the only one to make this very unique expansion of your business successful you seem to have a way of making new things work like your youtube and streaming channels is that internet challenge today anything like building and running two territories at once in 1978 how does it compare or does it at all well that's a good question man that's an interesting question dave uh, you know it's, it sounds like you know we're going to be to get beginning today's episode man with a learning tree question almost so uh you know i feel like uh, you know what's happening in those two internet sites now uh which is basically highlighting my territories from the past, and then basically I'm talking about what I learned through the through that building process of having two territories. It kind of makes the internet the perfect place for me to display, uh, you know, to people all over the world, my southeastern, my continental, my USA territory TVs that I created, obviously from about 1974 to right up to 1988 when I sold the USA Wrestling. So it also gives me opportunity to create total new content, man, from from all the wonderful life experiences the good Lord gave me, man. And uh, so my experience is not only about wrestling, but uh, I can talk about life itself, you know, and a new mm -hmm. stud story every week uh, that kind of helps me to share those experiences. And it's kind of an example of the new content on both YouTube and the streaming channel. So of the two streaming channels, man, uh, we'll also have a new superstars from the past series. Uh, wow. Which I really enjoyed doing. And the first one with it uh, is already done. And, and in those in that series, I'm going to recognize some of the greatest wrestlers that ever lived. Uh, and, and I'm proud of my choices on this first one in the superstar uh, series, uh, Abraham Lincoln. And he wasn't just a great wrestler with an amazing record of 300 wins and only one loss, but he is a man that was likely our best president, 
we ever had and one of the most famous men that ever lived. So I'm talking about Abraham Lincoln in a wrestling podcast. And uh, uh, wow, it seems a little odd, but uh, the son of a gun was a great wrestler. So it is kind of a history lesson, too. All right. So, but I'm glad you brought it up. I subscribed right away to your classic continentalwrestling.com streaming channel when you told me about it. I was absolutely blown away this past weekend by that first superstars of the past, the first superstars of the past show I thought was really, really good. I was not aware of the wrestling part of Abe Lincoln's history. I think this series is going to be a huge hit. I can't wait to hear who's going to be the next superstar in the series. Speaking of that, tell us again about your plans on your first wrestling book. Okay, my first book ever, the man, the first one I ever written about wrestling. Oddly enough, I've written one about a line, but I'm going to write this book about wrestling, and it, I'm going to call it the real history of professional wrestling, and it's going to be on the ClassicContinentalWrestling.com streaming channel. And I'm going to do something that I think's probably never been done before with this book. I'm going to read it live, chapter by chapter. As soon as I finish the chapter, I'm going to read it live on the streaming channel until the entire book is complete. Now, that may take a while, folks. I'm not going to write this book overnight. Mm -hmm. But uh, once I finish a, cha a chapter, I'm going to bring it on and I'm going to read that chapter. So, uh, you know, it begins in this. This book is going to, uh, to be it begins in the 1800s and it's got going to end until the extinction of the territories in the <laughs> 1980s. So we're covering a lot of ground in this book. And, and I'm going to tie that in with my family at the same time who uh has a part in this in professional wrestling history. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting this started. So your plans are to give classic continental wrestling.com subscribers, your real history, a professional wrestling book chapter by chapter, and you're going to do it for free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's my idea, Dave. I mean, that's kind of crazy, I guess, but uh, you know, that's what I want to do. And then plus in addition, I'm going to load up the streaming channel uh, with everything that's now on Southeastern Rewind's YouTube channel. And then when I search for the old Southeastern TV shows is complete, which we are really, really headed in a great direction there. I'm really pleased with what's going to happen when we start releasing these shows. I'm going to add all those Southeastern shows to that same streaming channel. And, uh, and I'm also going to have, uh, you know, with the superstars of the past series, I've got 43 three-hour stars of the sports shows. Uh, with interviews from some great wrestling stars. Wow, maybe 20, 25. And other subjects that involved the critical parts of my life. Like I said, maybe some of the lessons that I learned uh, trying to develop two territories. And there's already great documentaries on there about continental stars like Wildcat Wendell Cooley. And on April 26th, never before, Scene debut of the Tony Anthony Dirty White Boy documentary is going to premiere on the streaming channel. And it's going to run exclusively there for 30 days. And uh, when it leaves, when it leaves uh, uh, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com, it's going to go on to Amazon. So this is just the beginning here, Dave. I, I'm going to make the best, make the uh, streaming channel the best old school wrestling streaming channel on the planet, man. It seems like you had a, a lifetime of success for real in much more than just wrestling stud. I really think your streaming channel is going to be the 
best, especially, as you said, for old school fans. Fans need to subscribe now. It already has so much on it and more on the way every day. Fans can go to ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Only $4.99 per month, $39.99 per year. Experience the best old school wrestling streaming channel ever, period. All right, look, I hope it's okay, Stubb, but I can't wait to tell fans about your special offer. Fans can get a free seven-day trial on the channel to see for themselves what it has to offer. That's right, a seven-day trial, absolutely free. I think that is so cool. They'll have an opportunity to go, hey, I like it or I don't like it. I seriously doubt you're not going to like it. If you're the old school fan, you are going to love it. And that free week is going to sell you on it. That's for sure. All right, Ron. So where do we ride today? Well, we're starting our ride, man, on Sunday afternoon, April the 2nd. Uh, we're going to be in southeastern Knoxville. We're in the Coliseum. And we're ending the, the week on Saturday, April 8th, in uh, the Gulf Coast down there in Dothan, Alabama. So, uh, you know, uh, it's it's going to be a big week. Uh, we've got our first Saturday night card there. Uh, and... Uh, we're, we're going to have a super week that week. And we're going to look at both cards, uh, one of them in Tennessee and the other in Alabama. We're going to talk about both of the TVs that promoted those cards. We're going to give everybody the results of those matches, which were great matches and great cards. And then we're going to tell everybody what the attendance was. And then, and then we got another uh, great learning tree question, man. And uh, from what I hear, I haven't seen this question, but I, but you but you talked uh, you talked to me and said the fans out of Canada, and uh, and there's something about having two territories. And how did I pick the talent for them? All right, so it sounds like another great ride for real. So, Ron, do you want to start? You want to start with the card for Knoxville on Sunday, April second of seventy eight. You want to do that first? Yeah, why not, man? That's a, that's a good it's a good place to start today. And uh, this one was coming if everybody will remember from the last cast after two weeks. Uh, we had missed a week in both the major major territories. And uh, so we're coming off the last card, which is on March 19th. And we're not back in there until uh, Sunday afternoon, April the 2nd. And this card had eight matches on it, man. Uh, one of the biggest, one of the biggest uh, match, match cards that we put together with talent from several different territories on this card. The opening match was a great one for basically any card in the country country man uh, you know it featured the return of uh, the sports one of the sports best wrestlers man ever what a talented guy dick steinborn and he's wrestling against uh, who was really at this point uh, a very popular newcomer rip smith and the hangman uh, met another returning star uh, that was coming back for a little uh, little run uh, the pro doug gilbert third match uh, had it could have been a main event in most cities anywhere, man. Uh, Mr. Wrestling 2 against Don Carson. Pretty cool match right there. And uh, it was followed by another that could have been a main event just about anywhere. Tony Charles against Ron Wright. Wow, what a combination of a match that one is. And then the Southeastern tag belts are on the line on this card. The champions, Jimmy Golden and Ricky Gibson, who had won the tournament, defended against Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson. Obviously, they were presented by Ron Wright. And next was the Lumberjack Rules match with wrestlers stationed around the ring. And they were there to throw the wrestlers back into the ring if they got out, tried to leave or whatever. 
and Canadian Joe LaDuke was wrestling. Uh, this this was his type of match. In fact, that's where we were introduced uh, to this uh, lumberjack type of lumberjack match. And, uh, and he's going to be wrestling against Ronnie Garvin. And there's also on this card a Southeastern title match between the new champion, Robert Fuller, who had beaten the uh, Stomper in the last uh, two weeks earlier on that card. And uh, he's going to be defending his title against Jerry the King Lawler, a great star from the Memphis Territory. And then the main event uh, was a no-DQ match with the Mongolian Stomper banished by Gorgeous George Jr. against the Tennessee Stud. Wow. Okay, that is a loaded card. At least six tremendous matches with eight in all. Okay, so what was on the TV for Saturday, April 1st, 1978 that promoted this incredibly big card well fans need to recall that last week's tv was also promoting this card so this is the second show for it so and because there was no match in knoxville the week before and instead uh, last week there we ran 12 smaller cities uh, in place of knoxville basically uh, to make up for the loss of knoxville and wow we did pretty darn good with it at that uh, set an all-time record so uh, there are three very good videos uh, we used in the last tv uh, which left us uh, doing a, something different in this one. The Garvin and LaDuke tag match from the tag team tournament card. We showed that one last week's show uh, where both guys kind of squared off e against each other, even though they were in a tag match to make it almost a single match. Uh, they, we showed the video of Robert Fuller winning the Southeastern Championship in a match that wasn't even on the card. And then we showed the videos of the final of the tag tournament where Golden and Gibson sneaked by a, got a win over Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson, kind of a, a really unexpected win. So this TV is going to be really different. Uh, the, there's no video on this one to start the show like we normally have because we had used a lot of videos. And uh, so uh, this TV, I got to thinking about it when I was putting it together. I remember back thinking about it, that this was really light on videos, but man, it was heavy on matches. And each one of those matches during this TV show, we had the opponent for the guy that, they, that was wrestling in the ring on TV was going to be the opponent the next day in the town. In, uh, in the big coliseum there. So, uh, wow, it worked out to be a, a great, a unique TV format. And it started with the first match, which was Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson, presented by old Ron Wright. Uh, they took to the ring and uh, they opened up the show. Jimmy Golden and Ricky Gibson, the new Southeastern Tag Champions, they joined Les at the set uh, to make comments during that match. And this turned out to be really interesting, I think, for fans because uh, you've got the team that they're wrestling and you've got the team that sitting at the set with Les that's going to be able to uh, commentate, basically, with Les. So Condry and Hickerson, man, they just pummeled their opponents. Uh, but then both teams uh, did the first interview segment of the show. Immediately after, they took the first interview. The second TV match, it was a rare appearance by a Memphis star, Jerry Lawler, on television. I mean, normally he was always in Memphis on Saturdays to do the TV there. But we were able to get him over there for that TV on the Saturday. And his opponent the next day is going to be my brother, Southeastern champion Robert Fuller. Uh, and Rob set in with Les at the set for this match. He watched Lawler's match. And uh, these two guys had some long histories against each other, man. And uh, 
And when they made the second interview, they spent a great deal of time discussing that long history that they had against each other. A lot of those matches coming in Memphis. The personality profile on this one was live with the Mongolian stomp, gorgeous George Jr. And, uh, and through the power of videotape, I was able to do the profile with them uh, with a pre-recorded tape. So I wasn't able to do the Knoxville TV live because I was down there, Southeastern Gulf Coast TV, taping in Dothan, Alabama. Man, oddly enough, both these TV shows were being taped just about the same time of day. So uh, Rob told me the next day when I got back to uh, Tennessee, the profile was a really good one. The Gigi attacked him and I, and, which made sense. And uh, he, he jumped on Rob first, Rob said, because he – and he had something to say because Rob wasn't given the Mongolian stomper a return match after winning the belt. Mm -hmm. But why was he? I think he has less. Why was he giving Jerry Lawler a title shot when Lawler wasn't even wrestling in Southeast? Right. No. Good point. <laughs> yeah. No. And he said, and then, then he said, Rob said, then he said to Dave, this is because Rob's afraid of the stomper, obviously, and that Rob knew that he could beat Lawler but he, that he was never, ever going to be able to beat the Stomper again after, after what had happened uh, in the crazy match of, of the day of the tournament. So uh, Gigi then went after the Tennessee stud, he said, and complaining about how the Southeastern Commissioner, Don Curtis, was allowing Ron Fuller to continue wrestling in Southeastern as a mass wrestler <laughs> five months after losing a loser lead match to his stomper, <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, he, had, he had the pretty strong point again in a way, you know, but then uh, Rob said he kind of changed his tune and he said, but he was happy about this match. And in, in one way, you know, the fact that Don Curtis said, if anybody could remove the Tennessee studs mask and he proved to be Ron Fuller, that Ron Fuller would be gone for Southeastern forever. So uh, Gigi then made a prediction at the end of the profile, you know, that the next day he was going to be the the last time, it was going to be the last time Ron Fuller, the so-called Tennessee stud, mm -hmm. would ever wrestle in the southeastern area. And that fans, if they wanted to see him again and say goodbye, they better show up because he's done. So then uh, Les ran my videotape response. You know, and my response wasn't because it had been pre-recorded. It didn't really uh, jump on the what he had said, you know. But uh, he, he, Rob said that the fans really liked what I did have to say. They gave him a big clap. Uh, because it's live, you got the the, the uh, negative effect uh, from the fans when uh, Gigi's having something to say, and then mm -hmm. when I had something to say, everybody, you know, they kind of responded in the opposite way. Mm -hmm. Then we get into the third match, Wrestling 2. Mr. Wrestling 2 was a super uh, – oh, he was maybe one of the greatest of all time in the state of Georgia. And he had a pretty big name in Tennessee as well. And he's on this card. And uh, so he got himself a win in the third match. Uh, and he won with it, that big old famous bionic knee lift he hit guys with. Wow. Hit me with it a couple of times too. And uh, that could that could cross you running lights for sure. And his <laughs> opponent was Don Carson. So you can imagine what Don Carson, the insults he hurled at <laughs> Mr. Wrestling, too, during the third match. Then the last TV match of the day was Ronnie Garvin. Uh, Joel Duke joined Les at the set. 
because uh, they were wrestling each other the next day in that Canadian lumberjack match, and uh, Garvin literally destroyed his opponent. And uh, but he spent a whole lot of time in the match. Uh, Rob said he was signaling to Joe LaDuke, uh, sitting at the set with Les to come on and get some, man. You know, so uh, he said uh, Garvin jumped off the top rope and as a opponent's throat, but uh, instead of beating him, covering him, he refused to cover him. And uh, then he turned it around. He needed a motion, to, a motion for LaDuke to come to the ring again. And uh, then he turned around to go back up to jump off on the kid again. And uh, Rob said LaDuke just sprinted to the ring, slid under the bottom rope, and uh, grabbed him from behind and <laughs> in a bear hug. He, about the time he got to the top of the top rope. And uh, so Joe just lifted him off the top rope, and he, Rob said, Joe started swinging him around like he was a rag doll. You know, <laughs> he had him in a ba- reverse bear hug, but he said he was just, uh, he was just made, <laughs> his arms and legs were going everywhere. And he said, Garvin finally got his feet down on the mat where he could steady himself. And he said, he delivered a blow, man, with the back of his head. He took the back of his head and slammed it into the Duke's forehead. Whoa. And he said, LaDuke, man, just went straight back through the ropes onto the concrete, man, and he and he busted his head. Wow. And, uh, so, you know, he, LaDuke uh, was trying to get up bleeding, and Garvin just went out on the floor after him, man. And they got into it, man. Wow. Big time, Rob said. And uh, one referee jumped out to try to stop it, and uh, they threw him uh, all across the floor, and he got hurt, and the second one came, and he couldn't stop it. So Les, being at the set by himself at this point, you know, he started calling for the wrestlers and the guys in the dressing room to come and help break this up. We've got to get this stopped, you know. Wow, this is crazy. And the crowd, obviously, Rob said, was going crazy. They, they, were, they were really enjoying it. So the wrestlers began to arrive, kind of one and two at a time. And Rob said it took almost all the dressing rooms, everybody in the dressing rooms, to pull the two apart. He said it was just crazy. Couldn't get him to stop fighting. Joe's bleeding like crazy. And he said, so, you know, basically the lumberjack match was scheduled for the next day. It got started on TV. (laughs) It was just a crazy deal. So Rob told me the next day on Sunday, you know, when I got back home, the entire studio crowd was on their feet and on fire, man, while all this was going on. And uh, I could just imagine people at home were doing the same. Well, I got to ask, and this is kind of a side note, and it's about your brother, so it may be personal, but did Rob ever confide in you about being frightened of uh, the stomper? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, too, now. Oh, man, I'll tell you what, Dave. Uh, he never said it, but, well, you know, their post I'll tell you, it was pretty hard not to be a little bit afraid of the stomper. Be quite honest with you, man. Well, I don't care who you were as a wrestler. Well, when you saw him across the ring, yeah, you were like, "Oh my, well, this yeah. is going to be bad." Yeah, I was just thinking about the words of Mister Credible, uh, Gorgeous George. So anyway, so no offense to Rob, I'm I'm sure he would I'm sure he would understand. All right, so really another great ending to a fantastic TV show. So what happened the next day in the Coliseum? All of these great matches had to be a big day. Oh man, it was. You know, uh, it was a it was really a great card. Like I said, uh, you know, and uh, it the 
the, the, the Rip Smith and Dick Steinborn just kind of set the tone for the evening, man. They had a 15-minute time limit draw. Uh, it was a perfect start for a big card like this, man. There wasn't a punch thrown or an illegal move, and they told her match. And it was one of those deals that uh, I got to watch this thing, man. And, and they got a standing ovation at the end of the match. I loved it when the wrestling crowd were we're becoming wrestling fans and uh wow this match was just <laughs> a great start so then the pro doug gilbert he beat the hangman in the second match tony charles and ron wright they wrestled to another time limit this was a 20 minute match theirs was 20 minutes and they they wrestled to a time limit draw uh, and this one was not a clean match like the first one was with ron wright in it it wasn't going to be and uh, ron wright <laughs> tried to cheat his way to victory you know, but instead, boy, he got his jaw <laughs> teeth rattled by Tony Charles's big forearms, man. <laughs> I mean, wow. You could almost hear his teeth pop every time he got hit with one of those forearms. And I'm sure Ron Wright was glad when that bell rang at 20 minutes that it wasn't going to be any longer. He had to stay in there with him. Uh, then in the next match, uh, Don Carson peanut butter was just too much for wrestling two. Carson got his glove loaded and he put two wrestling two down. Uh, the fifth match was another fantastic tag match between two great tag teams, man, for the Southeastern belts. Jimmy Golden and Gibson were the champions, and the boy, they were evenly matched with Condry and Hickerson, Ron Wright's team. And, uh, and that was proven to be the case because that match was very strange at a 30-minute time limit, and it went to a draw. So basically, three out of the first five matches had gone to draws. Uh, but the fans really loved the match anyway because those teams were so good. Uh, six match was a win for Rob. Uh, he beat Jerry Lawler and defended his Southeastern belt. And in the last match, the Stomper, and the Tennessee stud, uh, the match was awarded to the Tennessee stud by disqualification because uh, gorgeous Georgia Jr. got involved and the stud got his hands on Gigi and he pow-drived him. <laughs> pow-drived him twice, as a matter of wow. fact. Once wasn't enough. And then uh, Carson, Don Carson came down to the ring because he was big friends with those two guys anyway. And uh, he got involved. Uh, he, he hit he hit the stud with his peanut butter, man, and that put him down. And then Rob came to the ring and got in it with a stomper. And and they, you know, at the end of all this, man, Gigi had to be carried from the ring. And that was the big spot for the crowd. They loved that part of it. Gigi couldn't get up, and uh, they carried him out. Lumberjack match between Joe Duke and Ronnie Garvin was held until the last match. And it was done that way because it was a lumberjack rules and uh, it required it, almost every wrestler on the card to be out there at ringside. And it made a lot more sense for the wrestlers to come back after their match to, to do this type of thing than it did before their match. So mm -hmm. we put that match on last. And this match, <laughs> it should have been last anyway because so much happened in it, man. Uh, nothing was going to follow what happened in this one. Both men got really bloody during the course of this match, and, mm. and they continued. Each one of them got bounced out of the ring and then, th and then thrown back into the ring almost immediately. 
And uh, it, the bloodbath basically continued, man, between the two of them. And uh, Simone, then as the thing went on and uh, they started getting thrown out toward the end, uh, some of the wrestlers on the floor had wrestled against each other in previous matches. So uh, when the heels would grab a baby face to throw him in, the baby faces would try to get in the way. And then finally, there started to be some fights on the outside of the ring with uh, LaDuke and Garvin going at it on the inside. <laughs> Finally, the referee didn't know what to do. There was so much going on that he just had him ring the bell and he called it a no contest, you know, that, that it was totally out of control. And uh, obviously, pretty much after all that, uh, it, was, it was probably time for a cage between LeDuc and Garvin to see uh, wow. who was, who was going to be uh, – who was going to be the real man. And that was going to keep everybody out of the ring and keep everybody from interfering. So best way to settle that was probably with the cage. First of all, do you think a cage could hold these two animals? I mean, that's crazy. But where were they coming? Were they going to be coming back? Were they going to do the cage? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, there was something even more important than that that's going to be added to that match. too. <laughs> okay. What could that possibly be? Well, well, you, you you know, Dave, how that works, man. You, <laughs> you're going to have to wait the next week oh, come, to answer to that one, man. Come on. I, sh I should have known. All right. Can you at least tell us about the attendance? I know you had a huge crowd for this. Well, I think fans, uh, you know, really had missed it. Missed the matches. Being off that one week, it made them want and they eager to see their wrestling again. Uh, the attendance on this one, Dave, was only 100 fans short of 6,000 people. Man. Wow. Wow. It was at 5,900, and uh, basically, that's a full Coliseum. You couldn't oh, yeah. see an empty seat in that building. Uh, so, uh, wow, the southeastern Knoxville was just absolutely on fire. It was just amazing what we were drawing week after week there. Oh, for sure. All right. <clears throat> Pardon me. I think this is a, a good place for a break. So I assume we're going to be riding into southeastern Gulf Coast after we come back from the from the break. Yeah, your assumption is correct, my man. Uh, uh -huh. You know, uh, you know, and that's why I enjoy these studcasts so much, Dave. Now, especially since the second territories opened up, so we're going to be riding south. Uh, we're going 500 miles, and we're going to be at a critical time frame for southeastern Gulf Coast because of what's happening with the, being the only town and the crowds being go, going down a, a little bit uh, every week. So. Uh, that territory was, it was time to, for something good to happen. Okay, so let's take this break. And while we do that, remember to check out ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. When we come back, according to the good book, Genesis thirty-eight eighteen, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. We're going to Dothan and Southeastern Gulf Coast. We'll be back on this studcast in a moment. All right, Studcast fans, the Southeastern Rewind on YouTube schedule for this week. Here it is, Wednesday, April 13th through Tuesday, April 19th. Wednesday, April 13th, Studcast number 245, Joe LaDuke versus Ronnie Garvin in Knoxville and Ernie Ladd in Alabama. Thursday, April 14th, Continental TV number 24. Friday, April 15th, Gulf Coast Classic Match number 11. Monday, April 18th, Gulf Coast Classic Match number 12. Tuesday, April 19th, Stud Story number 28, Hilarious Tex McKenzie. Specials now on ClassicContinentalWrestling.com, the streaming channel only. 
three-hour stars of the sport, Andre the Giant, Mick Foley, and the legendary Ron Wright. The Wildcat Wendell Cooley documentary. The first superstars of the past, Abraham Lincoln, plus everything that is on Southeastern Rewind. All right, welcome back once again, David Summers and the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's another stud cast. As we return, it's the new territory, Southeastern Gulf Coast. And before the break, Ron, you said... This was a critical time in Southeast, so Gulf Coast especially. And why was that? Well, my father, you know, he, he especially uh, during the, this time frame of my life, he always had a short saying that kept coming back to me during this time frame. Uh, to, and the, his little saying was uh, was kind of to describe success or failure in the wrestling business. And he used to always say, your business is either growing kid or it's dying. Wow. You know, and, and I can still hear the words, man, you know, and, and he said them to me in the spring of 1978, right in this time frame, about five weeks after we had run the first event in southeastern Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. We weren't, we, crowds went down for the first, after the first uh, two, first night uh, for the next two. Uh, so it was, uh, we were struggling, you know, and he was right. It was a critical time for, for a new company. You know, uh, you had to get it going or you might not ever get it going. So we only had one city operating at this point, And we had to get to where we were operating at least five a week and pre- and hopefully six towns a week. That's what it took to make wrestlers a living and to make a business successful. So every time we ran Dothan, which was the only city running at that time, we had to be drawing bigger crowds or we were on the point of risking failure man we might not be going to make it as the old man said that you you better uh, you better <laughs> make sure you're growing and not dying so the card this one that we're going to be talking about of april 7th 1978 was one of those critical nights man uh, we had missed a week just like knoxville did due due to the building conflict and uh, we were wrestling in dothan for only the fifth time uh, totally and it was five days after the Knoxville event we just talked about before the break. So we only had five matches on the Dothan card compared to eight on the Knoxville card. And, and why why was that? Well, we had fewer matches on the Dothan card than Knoxville. Basically, there's a couple of reasons for it, Dave. Uh, when I came to Knoxville in October 1974, and, and I started Southeastern, the former promoter, John Kazana was his name, uh, his crowds were small, and he was having only five matches per event. So the fans were accustomed to about five matches on a card, and really there was no reason to increase it. Uh, you know, uh, they, that's what they were used to. And as Southeastern Knoxville though, caught on fire in the next couple of years, the crowds grew dramatically. And uh, as the crowds drew, got bigger, you know, it, it's, it made more sense to add a match and maybe even two matches. And mm-hmm. now at this point, you know, it's the crowds are 6,000 people and the Coliseum's full. It wouldn't, it made sense to give them eight matches. So uh, that's kind of the reason uh, we 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 just I left it at five. Uh, 
So before I bought them out there, uh, the old Gulf Coast reporters I'm talking about, they were giving fans five matches, just like Kazana was in Knoxville. Mm-hmm. So, again, there was no reason yet to change that in Dothan because, you know, crowds were – actually, they dropped off after the first one uh, for the next couple of weeks. So uh, I figured, man, when crowds start to grow, I'll go ahead and add the matches again. So it, it kind of it kind of seems like to me – that more matches doesn't mean more people attending. Yeah, well, that's kind of it, man. You know, and success really in a new territory didn't have anything to do with the number of matches on the card. It had everything to do with the quality of your TV show, how good your talent was, uh, and how long it took fans to really get into the wrestlers themselves. They had to really – get the feeling like these guys a great friend of mine i want to go see him win <laughs> so this was only the fifth event i mean you couldn't accomplish that in, in that short a period of time so southeastern gulf coast fans all they needed was time man to get more involved with the new wrestlers that they were seeing to get into the angles and uh then the crowds were going to start to grow that's the way it was supposed to happen that's the way i wanted it to happen uh, so we're going to have to see if we can make it happen so when they started to hate the heels and they started to love the baby faces, and then you gave them some kind of special match between this guy they liked and the guy they hated, they're going to come to see it. So when the building was full on a steady basis, that's when you added matches. So the first match, as every other match that night in Dothan on Friday night, mm-hmm. April 7, 78, was a critical one because we needed to get the crowd to go up. So just as the first match in Knoxville five days earlier had been, uh, you know, uh, it was it was critical, this first match. But this first match in Dothan was even more important than Knoxville because Dothan was in its infancy. It needed uh, a, a pop, something good to happen. So as my father said, we were either moving forward or dying. So this <laughs> night, yeah, you know, and it, that, that was a little, little, little. Those little little uh, little bits of thought that had to go into it. this night had to lead to a bigger crowd the next week, or, or I felt like, well, you know, we're going to be in trouble here. Yeah. All right. So it makes me wonder: Did you have those little words in your head as you would walk in, or as you would look through the curtain and see the crowd? Did you say the word "dying," or did you, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, "Oh no"? Or when you would when you would look through the curtain? I, I, because there was a lot of pressure on, and stress on you as a young man. How did how did you deal with it? Well, luckily, you know, it, it wasn't my first rodeo, man. You know, uh, southeastern Knoxville had been at this same point, man, for for a year. Basically, for the first year, I didn't know whether I was going to make it or not. Uh, I was always, I feel like, on the edge of bankruptcy there, man. And so uh, I had learned a thing or two during my first three and a half years as an owner of that southeastern Knoxville territory. And my determination to succeed was probably even stronger at this point. Because I tasted a little success, man. And so I, I didn't want to, to fail, man. I, I wanted mm-hmm. to have that success down there in the Gulf Coast that I'd had in Knoxville. So let's get to this critical fifth Dothan card, man. So I, I was, And I was going full out, man, and as a booker to, to make this a special one, special night. So one of Alabama's best wrestling stars ever was a native of Dothan. And he'd been trained by my father in the 1950s. 
He was also a local law enforcement officer. He was admired and respected by everyone. And because of who he was and what he did for a living, he kind of felt he had to wear a mask to hide his identity, his entire career mm -hmm. uh, down, down in that area. And few people ever knew uh, that he wrestled. <laughs> you know, they never knew that he was a wrestler as well as a lawman. So as a wrestler, he was a main eventer. I can tell you that for years. Yeah. In the Gulf Coast wrestling, yeah. man. You know, so, uh, and uh, you know who I'm talking about. A lot of fans may not, though. He even wrestled in southeastern Knoxville. Mm. And fans think back about this. He was a partner with Dick Dunn in 1975. Mm. They were there as the superstars in southeastern. They were the tag champions for almost a year. Great tag team, this guy and Dick Dunn. Mm -hmm. And the two of them were the guys that busted both of Ron Wright's eyes the hard <laughs> way. You know, during that same year, you know, they busted one. One of them got his eye, and then they got his other on the desk, on Les's desk, man. Mm -hmm. Busted both his eyes. And that angle with Ron Wright getting his eyes busted the hard way, that kind of turned the Southeastern Territory around. It got it started build, <laughs> building upward. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so this guy and his friends called him by his nickname, his first nickname, they called him Tarzan yeah. and by golly, <laughs> he actually seemed to be a little bit of Tarzan in him, man, <laughs> you know? So, uh, I'm talking about the uh, Leon Baxter, man. And, uh, so, so he was better known in the Gulf coast territory as the wrestling pro yep. with the white mask. And after our success in Knoxville, I was extremely appreciative, man, to, um, to old Leon uh, for helping me to get this territory off the ground, kind of mm -hmm. like he helped me to get the southeastern Knoxville on, off the ground. Yeah. So on this night, he opened the cart. After being a main eventer for so long, it had to be a blow to his ego. Mm -hmm. I kind of felt it might, but but I needed something to happen, you know. And his opponent in this first match opening this card was Eddie Mansfield, who was a young rising heel man, and he had the skills to become a success. He was going to be good. And and I was going to do something that night that I had never done before as a booker. Hmm. All right, so listen, having grown up watching the wrestling pro, he was one of my favorites. I mean, literally, this guy seemed tough as nails, invincible, the suplex machine. I have to admit, as a fan, I had kind of lost some interest in wrestling at the time. I was not there that night. So I can, I can I'm kind of anxious to hear what you were really going to be doing, what was happening that night. <laughs> and, and you weren't the only one that wasn't there, Dave. I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of fans uh, had kind of a, uh, uh, you know, left left wrestling. They had lost interest in this sport. A uh, little disenchanted, because, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and uh, so th that's what we're dealing with. That's why I'm I'm saying that we this is a critical night. So, uh, so you know, this the second match. You know, uh, the second match was another up and coming heel. Uh, I, I was I was going to give it to him, man. The big time. This this one was an even better wrestler in the ring and on the microphone at Eddie Mansfield. And this guy was eventually going to get into several Hall of Fames. Many years later, he's going to really be a star. <laughs> and uh, that guy was David Schultz. And he was wrestling another young star that had already made a big name for himself in Knoxville. Uh, and, uh, and, be, and then he got a spot in this first Southeastern uh, Gulf Coast crew. Uh, and this guy was also a cousin 
first cousin to Jerry Stubbs, Mr. Olympia, and Mike Stallings. So you got the second match, Schultz against Stallings, man. Two young, two young bulls, man, that are just going to go really at it. Third match on the card was a huge one, man, in more ways than one. I have to say that. Uh, one of the men in it was already in the Hall of Fame in another sport, professional football. And he's going to be a Hall of Fame in wrestling as well before it's over. So six wow. feet, nine inches tall and over 300 pounds, man. The big cat, Ernie Ladd, <laughs> is making his Southeastern debut. And he's wrestling another black star baby face. Uh, you know, and uh, Ernie wasn't a baby face. <laughs> I better straighten that out. Ernie <laughs> was a, wow, he was a badass heel is what he was. Yeah. You know, and uh, but he's wrestling against a, a, a a black baby face that, that I really didn't know much about him when I hired him and I put him into this crew. But since I had seen him wrestle in five shows, uh, I'd become a big fan of Charlie Cook. So uh, so the then the fourth match on this card featured the team that had become the Southeastern Gulf Coast Tag Champions right away, the Assassins. They were managed by Rip Tyler, who was an old star there. Mostly as a wrestler, but now he was a manager. And uh, these, this team was facing off against uh, Robert Gibson, a man of future rock and roll mm -hmm. <laughs> fame. Wow, mm -hmm. He's going to be a monster star. And uh, he had a partner that night who was a big star in the Georgia Territory, Big Bill Dromo. And uh, Bill kind of took me under his wing in the summer of 1970 when I broke into business. Uh, I ran everywhere with him. He carried me to towns. He, he, he offered me advice. He watched my matches. He was just a great friend to me. So the main event uh, that night uh, was a direct result of the two-ring battle royal from two weeks earlier, the last match that we'd had there in Dothan. And um, Bob Armstrong and I ended up partners in the, against uh, Schultz and Mansfield mm -hmm. in the finals of the match in which there's a tag match to see who wins. And then uh, Bob actually won the match for me because I never got in the ring during the whole match with those two guys. And then he actually beat them both by himself. And then when it came time to get the money, I took my <laughs> money from the announcer. And then when he started to give it to Bob, I took Bob's money <laughs> and uh, put the boots to him to boot. Right. <laughs> we had a little riot, first riot ever in Southeastern uh, the Gulf Coast down there. And uh, so this match this night is for the $10,000. I have to give back my five. I give back his check. And whoever wins this no DQ, no time limit match is going to get the whole 10 grand. Yep. There you are, Ron. Always the giver. So, all right. So I thought the eight match card in Southeastern Knoxville discussed earlier that you talked about in this studcast was a really a great one. But this five-match Southeastern Gulf Coast card is right in there with it. So what happened on the TV show with commentator Charlie Platt, Saturday, April 1st, April Fool's Day, 1978, six days before this event? Set the TV show up for us. All right. Uh, you know, this was the second TV uh, that was promoting this event. I mean, we'd had a show uh, the Saturday before. We showed a lot of video in that one that we had shot in the Dothan building on the night of the two-ring battle royal. So I'd opened up the show the week before, in fact, with one of those videos uh, showing uh, me stealing Bob Armstrong's $5,000 check and showed pretty much the end of that uh, big uh, two-ring battle royal. And then Charlie Platt uh, 
opened this, this time, Charlie Platt opened the show by himself. And uh, he informed fans that he'd been ordered uh, to bring me out right before they got the show started because I had demanded it. <laughs> so, so he set it up by saying, <laughs> I don't like this guy very much, but, uh, you know, I've got to bring him out. He, they kind of talked to the studio fans before he went on the air and said, I kind of got to start off with this Ron Fuller out here, you know. So uh, so when I entered the studio, boy, did I get a big reaction, man. <laughs> Obviously, the fans, they just like, well, they, they let Charlie know how much they disliked it as well. They booed the heck out of me, man. They were ready for me. And it, and I couldn't have been any happier, man, without without introduction. I loved it, you know. So so I made, uh, you know, I sat down there with Charlie, and uh, and I made him show the video again of me stealing Bob Armstrong's money. And then I bragged about this upcoming match to see who was going to get the whole 10 grand. Uh, and I said, it's easy money, you know, Charlie Platty's because I said the match is a no time limit and a no DQ match. And, and I said, you know, Charlie Platt, uh, I'm really great in these no DQ matches. That means I can do anything I want to to the opponent and not get disqualified and not get the, 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 the intentionally uh, given my match away. So, uh, you know, I said, I've never lost a no DQ match, Charlie Platt. So uh, I'm going to get $10,000, man, uh, come next Friday night. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Charlie had that way of giving you that look, and he kind of let me know. He showed his disgust, man. Charlie? <laughs> yeah, amazingly, right? <laughs> right. And then he tried to kind of get rid of me, and he says, oh, you know, Ron, uh, uh, thank you very much for joining us, you know, which he didn't mean a word of. <laughs> uh, and the wrestling pro was coming to get in the ring, man. Hmm. At the same time that uh, that Charlie's trying to sh shove me out of there, right? Right. You know, obviously the pro got a big hand from the fans. They loved him there. He was a big star for many, many years, mm -hmm. and he was going to be the first match on the TV. So instead of my getting up and leaving, I just sat there and I said, "You know, Charlie Carr, I want to sit here and talk about this." <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard about this guy and you know and so i sat there and i i, I ran the pro down the down the toilet man and i had nothing but derogatory remarks and uh and uh and then i finished up by saying uh, and you know uh charlie i said I, I don't know how this old guy <laughs> called him an old guy <laughs> I, said, I don't know how this old guy is, is going to compete with these Southeastern stars that we've got in here now, you know? Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, and then, and then, and then, and I just about finished that as I finished that uh, little statement, uh, he hooked the sleeper hold on his opponent, man, who was a young kid, just like I said, with all these Southeastern stars. And, and he put that kid to sleep, man. Wow. And that studio went crazy, you know? And, uh, they couldn't hear what I was saying, but I'm sure when they went home and watched the TV, they were they were really happy that they cheered for him so wow so loud so uh, yep. so then in the first interview, the pro watched Eddie Mansfield's comments. Eddie Mansfield made an interview, uh, and Eddie Mansfield's wrestling him in the first match on the card the following Friday, and Eddie Mansfield made a big point of saying that he's going to do something nobody's ever done. He says, "I'm going to take the mask off a legend." 
I'm going to pull <laughs> that white mask off of that, uh, off of that wrestling pro. And he, and he said, I, now I'm going to kick his ass. <laughs> well, we had the, we had the bleep ass <laughs> next Friday. Uh-huh. But he was all inspired, man. And then, uh, boy, the studio crowd, they got real upset. They got to see his remarks. Uh, but then they got to hear Tarzan Baxter's response, man. And, uh, he had made Tarzan mad, <laughs> that little deal. Mm-hmm. He was going to take his mask off, and he's going to kick his ass. And uh, so Tarzan, man, his pride took over. And, I mean, he made an inspiring interview about, you know, blonde-haired punk kid god i can't wait to get my hands on you right and uh, so it was great and when he finished that studio went crazy again so mike stallings was the second guy on the tv he got himself a big win and then david schultz split the second interview of the show uh stallings wasn't so good david schultz was beginning to become a great interviewer uh he's gonna he's gonna light it up there he's gonna become he's gonna get figure out how to become a big star uh, mm-hmm. in uh, southeastern gulf coast uh, bob armstrong man he got their fans on the feet uh for the personality profile he had them standing up right and you he could kind of feel what i did that day from the studio audience it was fired up man in there uh, and uh, there was a good vibe in the studio. It was like, wow, this something's going to happen here. So Big Bill Dromo, man, a star in the Georgia Territory, and Robert Gibson, they went out for the third match, a tag match. And even though it was their first time out as a team, they had a great match. It looked like they'd been wrestling together as a team for years. And uh, so that kind of kept the studio crowd cooking, man. Bob Armstrong had gotten them up. Uh, the pro had gotten them up. Uh, they they were really into it that day. And uh, then the next interview came along, and uh, the time was split uh, between Rip Tyler and his assassins against uh, Dromo and uh, Robert Gibson. Good interviews. And uh, all the babyfaces matches, there had been three babyface matches in this TV show, and the last one was another babyface match, and it ended up with Charlie Cook. Uh, and boy, he was doing the cooking, man, for the studio audience. And he got a really great win, man. The end that ended the live matches on the show. Then the final interview had the great Ernie Ladd, man, uh, send an interview in. He wasn't actually oh, there. Okay. But uh, Ernie laid it down, man. Wow. Ernie was a, such a great interviewer, too. Uh, and he laid down the law on Charlie Cook, man. Wow. Uh, you know, who is Charlie Cook? <laughs> you know, I'm the greatest athlete of all time. And they they send me in to wrestle a, a Charlie who, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, and then Charlie kind of got inspired like uh, the pro had in the first interview, listening to Ernie tear him up. Mm-hmm. He got into it. You know, and he and he he made a great point on the end that really sold the deal. He said, "The great thing about this match is they maybe nobody know who I am now, but when I beat Ernie Led, <laughs> he said I'm gonna be somebody in the rest." <laughs> you know? And uh, it was a great yeah. line. Yeah, you no, know? and it was yeah. true. You beat Ernie <laughs> Led, and you are gonna be somebody. Oh, oh, no doubt. All right, and and I'm, I want to see if you remember this, Ernie. You said Ernie did had pre-recorded an interview. Did Ernie remind me? Was Ernie in on like two Friday nights in a row in Dothan? Uh, how what what happened there? 
Well, we, he was, uh, as you recall, uh, he was there. He was coming in to wrestle on this Friday night. Right. We had an interview with him on the profile last week. Right. It was a big, okay. a big uh, okay. video, great video okay. of him winning matches and a oh, huge star, showing what a star he was. Yeah. Okay. This time, okay. the interview he did was pre-recorded, and it was sent in, but it was focused on Charlie Cook. So, the guy that I'm wrestling. So this is like his first appearance in the Houston County Farm Center. Yeah, uh, he is. It's his first appearance yeah, ever okay. in southeastern uh, Gulf Coast and southeastern yeah. wrestling. Period. Yeah, it's going to be his first on the Friday night, and then he's going to stay over and wrestle on the next week's TV. So he okay. is going to be wrestling on TV. Okay. Too. I want see. That's what I was wondering. How much time he spent around in the Dothan area, and in Dothan it was different because you had your TV show on Saturday afternoon. And then the the big event was the next Friday night at the Houston County Farm Center. Right. Okay. So you really had everything kind of a week early on TV about here's what's going to happen next Friday night. All right. So listen, either way, it still sounded like a TV just as good as the one taking place at the same time, 500 miles north in Tennessee. So what happened, Ron, the following Friday night, especially that first match that you mentioned earlier? Well, you know, I, I, I still uh, I still think maybe you're you're a real pro fan, Dave. <laughs> the wrestling pro, I mean, man. obviously, and I knew you yeah. would be, man. Yeah, you know, because he was a legend. He was tremendous there, you know. Yeah, and uh, you know, and and I normally always believed that a great babyface opening match was the best way to start off a night of wrestling. Uh, so a match like the one in the Knoxville card. Uh, on this same studcast earlier, you know, with Dick's time pointer, Rip Smith was a great example of what I thought was a great way to open up a cart. But in this case, with Southeastern Gulf Coast being a new territory and struggling to get off the ground and kind of its future was in the balance here, man. Uh, I decided I'm going to take a chance with this first match, do something I'd never done before. And uh, so, so the wrestling pro versus Eddie Mansfield match, uh, I think in Dothan, probably those people that were there, this match became an instant classic. I mean, it started out as a wrestling match, mm -hmm. uh, kind of like the one up there in Knoxville, but it ended up in an all-out all war, man. It was kind of like the young buck against the old pack leader, man. <laughs> who's who's going to take control here, man? Who, mm -hmm. Whose time is it? You know, in Mansfield, man, he resorted to using something in his tights, uh, and uh, he hit the pro with it. And, and boy, the pro's whole white mask, I know you remember it well, always wore a white mask. Yep. That clean white mask, man, became the crimson color that the state of Alabama was famous for. <laughs> wow. Talking about the Tuscaloosa. Uh-huh. Yeah. Tuscaloosa crowd up there. Yeah. I mean, his mask went from white the crimson man wow he was bleeding bad and uh, so everybody in the building got on their feet man this match was unbelievable mansfield got the pros mask up to around his eyes i mean it was like wow he busted his head now he's going to do what he said he was going to do he's going to pull the pros mask off nobody would ever pulled the pros mask off Mm -hmm. And uh, the ref, uh, ref, you know, got finally just started ringing the bell. I mean, it was just crazy. Fans were starting to come to the ring. Uh -huh. You know, they were going to uh, people. I saw a guy pull his shirt off. Uh huh. Was, I think he's going <laughs> to throw his shirt over Pro's head. Yeah. And if he if he got if he lost his mask, 
Uh, so Mansfield left the ring. Pro finally started fighting back, and Mansfield jumped on the floor. The bell had already rung. He raised both hands on his way out like he had really accomplished something. Hmm. But uh, he left a really mad pro in the ring. Yeah. So, But that match, man, started off the night, and wow, it began a string of great matches in this, in this Dothan card. And then David Schultz, man, got the best of Mike Stallings. But the fans loved that match all the way. Stallings was a great wrestler, and he really made a match of it. Uh, Charlie Cook and Ernie Ladd match was absolutely spectacular. Ernie was a great heel, man. I'd forgotten how good he was, and I was watching this match. And he did almost everything to Charlie Cook that a nasty heel could think of, man. But then he finished the match with the most important thing any heel could do for a babyface. Uh, Charlie Cook, in desperation, he had had everything done to him. He had kicked out and kicked out and kicked out, and then it just, he would not get beat. And in desperation, he hooked that big old Ernie Ladd man, the giant that he was in a small package, and he beat that Hall of Famer right in the middle of that ring. The Whoa. building exploded. Whoa. I mean, the roof came off. Wow. Like, wow, Charlie Cook beat Ernie Ladd, you know, and it was the last thing any of them expected to see. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I tell you what, it, instantly, Charlie, the, when the three count, when that hand hit the mat for the three count, Charlie Cook's future went right through the roof of that farm. It's center. exactly what he said on the TV before. It's exactly what he said. Right. He said, yeah. "If I ever get, if I could just get a win over this guy, I'll be somebody." <laughs> interrupted. Yeah, yeah. And, and instantly, when that third hand hit the mat for the countout, Charlie Cook became a star, man. And so then the tag team match uh, was next up, and it was a great night, man, of wrestling all the way around. Bill Dromo and Robert Gibson gave this assassin team all they could handle. And these assassins were good. So it took a manager, Rip Tyler's man, he had to do some quick thinking, and he managed to somehow get, a, get him a win over Robert Gibson. He snatched a foot when he needed to and held on to a leg when the referee wasn't watching. And uh, so this assassin combination, they were really getting over at this point. And they were going to get over a whole lot better because there's a major upgrade managers on the way for these two guys. So it, their situations <laughs> have gone to improve. So then the last match of the night was the money match, man. And it ended with the biggest pop of the night. And I'd spent much of the match uh, outside the ring stalling for time. And uh, finally, Bob got so frustrated, he just came after me, basically. <laughs> said, all right, you ain't going to wrestle in the ring. I'm going to beat you outside the ring. And uh, we both ended up on the floor out there, man. And back in those days, you'll remember, Dave, it was a dirt floor. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was no concrete there back, mm -hmm. in, the, back in the first days that Southeastern uh, Gulf Coast uh, opened up. So, uh, and we were outside the ring and before it was over, it kind of ended up like the t the match on TV uh, with uh, Garvin and LeDuc uh, the, on the Knoxville. Uh, they couldn't, the referee couldn't stop it. And the second referee came down and he couldn't stop it. And then finally, uh, a couple of baby faces came down and tried to grab Bob. And then uh, Schultz came down and Mansfield came down. And finally, most of the card ended out there trying to pull us apart. Man, the referee's ringing the bell. Of, <laughs> obviously, there wasn't a winner. Wow. And, you know, and uh, so the 10,000 is still up. Nobody's won that 10,000 yet. 
And yeah. uh, next week, uh, we're going to come back in a lumberjack match with the wrestlers around the ring. And uh, and we're going to find out who the heck is going to get the 10 grand. <laughs> you, you mentioned the floor. It was dirt then. It's concrete now, of course. But back in the day, they still had tractor pulls and that kind of thing in the farm center. But that's, a, that's part of the reason for that. But And it would get kind of dusty indoors. All right, so a really fantastic night of wrestling. Uh, that It kind of takes me back. I wish I was there. But what was the attendance for, for Dothan that night? Well, remember the last battle rule, man, uh, that we had two weeks ago brought us up to where the attendance was on the first night when Andre the Giant was there on that card. It was about 1,300 fans uh, last week, and it was about 1,300 on the first card. So the the first card and the fourth card were about 1,300 fans. The two cards in between had dropped down below 1,000. So it was really critical time for us. And uh, Mm -hmm. so, man, this one went up. Again, but it was a, a new record. It went up to 1,500, dude. Went up 200 fans, but it was enough to put a smile on the wrestlers' faces. Hmm. And it, it was enough to make me think, by golly, you know, we are going to do this. We we can make this happen. So uh, it's hard to believe, though. Think about this, Dave, and uh, you probably know this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was 1978, and uh, and we had 1,500 fans, and I was all slapping us on the back and saying what a great deal this was. But one year later, 1979, that same building is going to have more than 6,000 fans in it. Wow! Did you could you really get an indi- indication moved that the needle moved because you added 200 fans in one week? Was yes. It, so I was, was, when I was told it was 1,500 rather than 1,300, uh-huh. uh, I wanted to jump up and down and celebrate. I was like, wow, it went up. That was the critical deal. I was growing. I wasn't dying. Oh, okay. I mean, boom, that's exactly what your dad said. So that's that 200 was enough in your mind to move the needle, and that meant growing instead of dying. That's that's incredible. That's and that's an amazing show, Ron. Anything you want to add today before we get to the learning tree? Well, yeah, I do, I do man. Uh, last week, you know, we kind of mentioned Montgomery was going to have its first live event on Monday, April tenth, nineteen seventy eight, which is actually three days after this event. But it's in the next week, so I'm going to uh, talk about that in the next studcast. Uh, and also, Pensacola is getting ready to open up on Sunday, April 23rd. Uh, New Brockton, a little town pretty close to Dothan there. Going to be a small show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have our first Saturday night. So next week, <laughs> we're going to have three towns running in the next uh, studcast. Wow. All right. So what an exciting time. That had to be for you and all the wrestlers, stud, as you like you said, because you saw the needle move. So, all right, let's get to our learning tree question this week. Randall Albertini, I hope I said that right, from Ottawa, Canada, says you are opening several territories over time. Being a busy owner, wrestler, and booker, once you purchased, how did you know what talent to keep and who to get rid of? Did you rely on anybody for advice? Well, that's a very good question, Randall. Randall, I think his name. That's yep. a great question, Randall. Uh, yep. You know, uh, but 
just to answer the question real quickly, and I'll, I'll get a little more into detail. Uh, no, I didn't rely on anybody to tell me who was good or bad talent at this point in my life. Uh, you know, uh, and, but your talent, you're right, Randall. It's extremely important. As an owner of a wrestling company, it was one of the most, maybe the most important thing necessary for success. You had to have great talent. You had to have great wrestlers. So my benefit and what really helped me that, probably most owners of companies didn't get is I grew up in the wrestling business. I watched my, my granddad wrestle, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and then I'd wrestled in several countries around the world at this point in my life, uh, when I got this second territory and, uh, and I'm not starting and not starting my first territory until I, I had been wrestling for four years. Then I got my first territory. So I knew hundreds of wrestlers. Wow. Maybe close to a thousand, you know, and, uh, and it, maybe if I didn't know them, I knew the names, I knew the reputation. So then having the opportunity to work with so many great guys, like the times I spent in St. Louis and other major cities around the country, uh, uh, Madison Square Garden in New York, uh, Philadelphia, uh, uh, you know, and every time I went to these big cities, uh, uh, if I didn't get to wrestle a star, I was able to talk to the other old veterans about who they thought were great workers. So I was always milking people's brains for who's a great guy and who. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I ever get a business going, this is the guy I want. That's the guy I want. Yeah. So yeah. I've been lucky enough to be in territories that had great talent. Uh, when I was starting in 1970, Georgia was Fabulous talent, Nick Bockwinkle and the assassins, the original assassins, my dad and uh, Gunkle and uh, Buddy Colt. And it just went on and on and on. Great wrestlers. Uh, and then I went to Florida and I got to wrestle with great ones there, too. So so by the time I, I got I started my first territory, I didn't need advice about talent. I knew what I was looking for. And luckily, my territories were pretty successful. I luckily had some great workers, guys that were really good, that came and stayed with me for long periods of time. They didn't want to leave. You know, I couldn't hardly give them a notice. They they loved it, you know. And I and I also had lots of friends because when I was a young wrestler, there was some of the greatest young talent in the world was in Florida, guys that were going to go on to become major stars. Yeah. And uh, luckily, some of those guys end up working for me. So you <laughs> know. Uh, uh, the gentleman uh, Randall, uh, I think that's your name. Uh, yep. I always say success breeds success, you know. And when wrestlers are are always looking for money, man, they were always looking for good money, good payoffs, and short trips. And uh, and if you had a territory that was doing good, uh, you were going to continue to do good because they're going to keep coming. And uh, and if you could give them the good money and those short trips, you were going to make that success happen. And you were always going to be loaded then with great talent. Wow. All right, folks, on Facebook, to become friends with Ron, please go to the Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page. Like him and follow him there, and you automatically become friends with a legend. On Twitter, follow him at Ron Fuller Welch. Visit the stud on his tremendous website, tnstud.com, tn as in Tennessee, tnstud.com. You'll find great videos, a photo gallery, every studcast ever done, 
43 super stud caster there and his stud store is there too with all kinds of souvenirs including his thrilling lion novel which is called brutus southeastern rewind on youtube is where much of what the stud is famous for is displayed continental and usa tv shows stud stories gulf coast and southeastern classic matches and so much more you can even find everything that Ron has done, and it's only in one place. Everything in one place. His amazing streaming channel, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Everything he's ever done is now and always will be there in that one spot. Superstars of the Past series, Three Hour. Stars of the Sports series, Wildcat Wendell Cooley documentary. It's coming April 26th the world premiere of Tony Anthony's Dirty White Boy documentary and the original classic Southeastern TV shows. Subscribe at Classic Continental Wrestling now for only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. It's going to be the best old school streaming site on this planet. Right now, get the special free one-week trial on Classic Continental Wrestling Dot com classic continental wrestling.com another great ride today stud so tell us where we're headed next week well southeastern knoxville is kind of beginning uh, to have a big movement in talent uh, ronnie garvin and joe LaDuke are going to be meeting in a cage match and uh there's going to be a special stipulation to that one that I, i'm going to save for next week uh and then the, the historic heel man there's a just to give you an idea of what kind of talent is going to be upcoming here, uh, in the next uh, Knoxville show, the, we're going to have one of the greatest heels in the history of wrestling. The great Malenko is going to make his first appearance in Southeastern wrestling. Uh, and now we're talking about down south and Southeastern Gulf Coast. The week is going to open on, like I said, a Monday night in a new city, Montgomery, Alabama. It's going to end on a Saturday night in New Brockton, another new city. Uh, we're going to have three cities in next week. We're going to be talking about the three new cities that we have got uh, up in the running. And uh, we're about to set that territory uh, up to start making some money. And then we're going to see whether we're going to have success or not. So then uh, Stud and Bob Armstrong, we're going at it again, man, in a lumberjack match for $10,000. And poor old Eddie Mansfield may have to pay next week for what the hell he did with the pro. Uh, we're going to find out about that one. And we're going to get the complete card for both the territories next week. We'll break down both those TVs, kind of like this week. We'll get the results of all the matches in both of the territories and the attendances at both of them. And if we have time, uh, we're even going to have another answer, a learning tree question. So thanks, everybody out there for listening today, and welcome, newcomers. If it's your first time joining us here, welcome, and uh, hope you enjoyed today's uh, show, and hope you come back again. And uh, please tell your friends about us. Take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. Man, a ton of fun, Ryan. Thank you so much. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three.
This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.